Wow. Not bad for third string. That was great. Very good. I got uh, over to the sanctuary this morning. I usually get around 5.30 or so, and I go through everything. <clears throat> I started going through the sermon I had prepared for today. It just didn't work. And uh, so what you have in the bulletin is not what we're doing today. I, uh, it's called being last minute like this. I'm not real good off the top of my head. So I just pulled out an old one from, uh, that I preached just about a month ago, just a few weeks ago, called The Dark Night of the Soul. So I'm going to do that again today. And, and uh, i tell you, when I went through this this morning, it's a whole different uh, perspective on it. So if you've heard this before, I apologize. I want you to listen to these psalms. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Psalm 31 talks about the anguish of my soul. It says, I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. Psalm 42, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Now, if you ask people who do not believe in God why they don't believe in God, the number one reason given is suffering. Why do these things happen? Why does God allow pain? Why did God allow my child to die? Why did God allow my husband to die? Why did God allow the best man in our church to leave us? And then if you ask people who do believe in God, when they grew the most spiritually, the number one answer is usually the same. It's when I went through those tough times, through that suffering. It's those hard times that cause some people to abandon God, and it's those same hard times that cause others to grow in God. The soul is the deepest part of you, and when the soul is hurting, the deepest part of you is hurting. Now, this phrase, dark night of the soul, comes from a monk named St. John of the Cross. He lived in Spain in the 16th century and devoted his life to reforming the church, but some in the church didn't like that, so he ended up being thrown in prison. And that's where he wrote the dark night of the soul, and it's an account of how God works to change us, not just in good times, but he changes us through the dark times. And the dark night of the soul is not just suffering. It's not just loss. It is suffering along with what feels like the abandonment and silence of God. This is what makes it dark. You know, God, where are you and why? And you will go through these times, obviously. We're going through it right now where God seems distant and just something is wrong. And we're going to see this in our text today. In Psalm 88, God seems to be distant to this psalmist. He's nowhere to be found. Some say Psalm 88 is the saddest and darkest prayer in the Bible. There is no hope expressed in this psalm. The word darkness appears three times. And in Hebrew, the word darkness is actually the last word of this psalm. The prayer ends in darkness. And you'll notice when we read this that he blames God for it. Some, of peop- some people have wondered why this is in the Bible, because it seems so hopeless, it seems almost blasphemous the way it accuses God and rails out at him. He says some things that are not true. He's mad and he's hurt. And it reminds me of a man whose baby son was born and then died after 16 hours of life. And after losing his son, this man said, if I ever went to church and saw God, I'd punch him in the face. That's this psalm. So what good can it do? Well, I think this psalm can help us a lot if we'll listen and pay attention to it. So let's look at it. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. My soul is full of trouble and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. There's a lie. God remembers. 
whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken me from my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Then down verse 13, I cry to you, Lord, for help. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They completely engulf me. You've taken me from my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. God, you've done this. You've taken him. Your wrath, your terrors have destroyed me. This is not a hallmark ending. Darkness is my closest friend. So what's this psalm teach us? What can it do for us? Well, number one, show that darkness is real. One of the most important lessons of life is the inevitability and unfairness and excruciating pain of loss and suffering. This man is inundated both with inner and outer darkness. He's got both. There's something going on outwardly. We don't know exactly what, but we do know there's some kind of relational loss going on. In verse 8, he says, you've taken from me my closest friends. Verse 18, you've taken my friend and neighbor, and he blames God. God, you ripped them away from me. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's an ugly church conflict. Maybe it's a death. Maybe it's a loss of a child. Maybe it's Micah. And also, he has a pain of rejection. The second part of verse 8, you've made me repulsive to them. I know one of the deepest hurts for me is uh, when people don't like me. And I'll just tell you something about ministers. We like to be liked. But it's a bummer because not everyone's going to like you. And uh, sometimes I don't even like me, but that's beside the point. But you, can, you just know some people don't like you. And this guy's suffering relationally. He's lost someone, and then there's those who don't even like him. He's suffering physically. Verse 3, 4, and 5, my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave. He's lost relationships. He's lost health. Maybe it's physical health. Maybe it's mental health. He sounds like Job. But that's not the worst. Here's the worst part of all this. And this is what John the cross called the dark night of the soul. God has turned on him. At least it seems that way. God has done these things. Here's this man who trusts in God as a Savior. He he starts out by saying, Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you. You're my Savior, Lord. He says, day and night I'm crying out to you. Verse 9, I call to you, Lord, every day. He says, I spread out my hands to you, and he prays and prays and prays and prays, and he trusts in God as a Savior, and still, this? See, there's a myth and a lie that many American Christians buy into, and that is this. If you do right, if you live well, if you're a good Christian, bad things will not happen to you. That is a lie and a myth. This psalm tells you you can do everything right and you can live a good life and you can be a good person and you can pray and pray and pray like this guy does, calling out to God, believing in God, trusting in God, and still be plunged into darkness. I don't like that. And you may not like it either, but it helps because it shatters the naivety of modern Christians who bought into the myth that somehow we are exempt or ought to be exempt from darkness and suffering. You know, some people talk about karma these days, which karma basically says, I will get what I deserve. Well, there's a reason Christians don't believe in karma, because it's wrong. And yes, we even sang about some of this, God works out everything for the good of those who love Him. God has good purposes behind everything. 
But you may go all your life and never know what that purpose was or is. Job was never told why he suffered so much. And if you don't grasp this, and if you buy into the myth that good people should not experience darkness, and if you believe in something like karma, then when you do encounter this darkness in your life, you'll be lost. So this psalm helps us know even godly people will go through darkness. Second lesson. Darkness is one of the best places to see God's grace. You say, How? If you read this psalm, it's more of an accusation than it is anything else. God, you don't remember me, verse 5. God, you don't care about me, verse 5. God, you put me in the lowest pit, verse 6. Your wrath is on me, verse 7. You've overwhelmed me with waves of trouble, verse 7. God, you've taken away from my, my closest friend. You, you've made me repulsive. God, you don't answer my prayer, down in verse 8. You reject me, verse 14. You hide your presence from me, in verse 14. God, you've tormented me and, and tortured me from childhood, verse 15. God, you've taken my loved ones from me, in verse 18. He's mad and he's hurting, and it's God's fault. Many think he's blaspheming here because verse 15 on to the end, he says, from my youth I've been afflicted and close to death. In other words, saying, God, you've never been there for me. You've never been good to me. It's just not true. I've borne your terrors and I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You've taken from me friend and neighbor, and darkness is my friend. A lot of that's not true. So how does this show God's grace? God, why would you put a prayer in the Bible that is blasphemous and accusing of you? Well, I think it shows that God gets it. He understands how people feel and how they talk when they're desperate, and He allows it. God puts this intemperate, angry, over-the-top, blasphemous rant in Holy Scripture. He put it in there to let us know He hears that too. He knows how we speak and how we feel when we're hurting, when our feelings overwhelm us, that we'll, we'll say desperate things, we'll say even incorrect things and even heresy, blasphemous things. Have you ever said anything in anger that normally you would not say? Yeah. God knows that. God has heard me swear at Him. It's not right. That's blasphemy. And it's not a good habit. Don't want to get into that kind of habit. But God is saying... You can say anything to me. It's safe to pray like this with me. It's safe to pour out your feelings because I am still the God of this man despite the way he talks and feels. I just, uh, I, I've told Ashton, she just, uh, she's been amazing this week, uh, you know, crying out to God and, all, and talking to God all this time about it. And, and one of the things I love, she's, you know, when she said uh, to God, uh, God, you're hogging my dad. You took him, to, took him away and you're hogging my dad just like you hogged him when he was on earth. And God did. God just owned that man. God is saying, I'm not your God just because you can put a happy face on every Sunday morning. I'm not your God just because you say the right things. I'm not your God just because you do all the right things. I'm not your God because you can hold it together. I am just God, and I am your God, period. And I can handle it. I'm big enough. I can strong enough to take it. It is safe to pour out your heart to me. Psalm 88 is a sign of His grace, His patience and understanding, the very fact that it is in the Bible. Now, there's two terms that you should know from ancient Christians, the ancient Christian writers gave to us, and that's the consolation and the word desolation. Consolation is the felt presence of God, and desolation is the felt absence of God. 
pretty obviously, consolation is the period in your Christian life where you're on cloud nine and things are just going well and the future looks good and maybe it happened when you first became a Christian or you've just had a spiritual high and you feel like God is speaking to you and leading you. Every time you pray, you feel His love and presence. Every time you come to worship, it's just alive and, and every time you sing, it moves you. When you sneeze, someone says, God bless you and you say, yes, you know, I mean, everything's good. It's kind of like new lovers. Uh, new couple in love and everything. It's just over the top and everything's wonderful. And then there's desolation. You don't see God working in your life. This is when you're praying and praying and there's no answers. When you're reading and reading and worshiping and you're getting nothing out of it. Uh, you come to church and it's completely bone dry. There's desert times and God just seems to be, he's turned his back. And those are the times when people start church hopping well, it must be the church, must be the preacher, the church is dead. No, 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 it's God. See, one thing, John of the Cross said, it's God who initiates the dark night of the soul. The ancient writers pointed out a really arrogant belief in the minds of many immature believers, and that is that consolation and desolation are up to me. It's about what I'm doing. So if I'm experiencing the consolation, the felt presence of God, and the goodness of God, it's because I'm doing something right. And if I'm experiencing desolation, the felt absence of God and his, God turning a back, His back on me, I must be doing something wrong. You know, I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading enough. I'm not, I don't have enough faith or the church is doing something wrong. And the ancients said, what if consolation and desolation is not so much about what you're doing, but it's more about what God is doing? What if consolation and desolation are both intentional moves of God in your life? There are times He just withdraws. God withdraws. See, in the dark night of the soul, it is God who moved. But why? Why would God go silent? Why does He allow this darkness? Here's number three. Darkness is where God can turn you into a person of great faith. The book of Job begins with Satan taunting God. God shows Satan, this righteous man named Job, and says, look at Job, Satan. See how he serves me and how he worships and lives for me. And Satan says to God in reply, does, God, does Job serve God for nothing? Does God, Job serve you for nothing? In other words, Job is serving you because you bless him. Look at all his children. Look at all his wealth and, and his health. So Satan, when he does this, he's not just pointing to Job. He's actually pointing to every one of us. And he's pointing to you and he's pointing to me and to every believer in God. And he's saying, now listen, God, look at your so-called devoted followers of Mount Pulaski Christian Church. They're sitting in church, but they're not really serving you. They're not really loving you. They're only serving you because it pays. They're only doing it because of the stuff they think they'll get from you. You'll answer their prayers. You'll give them peace and comfort. You'll hedge in their lives and give them good children. And you're not going to let anything bad happen to them. And then you're going to take them off to heaven. And they worship you because it's self-centered. They're worshiping you, God, because of what they can get out of it. And Satan says, by the way, oh, by the way, Satan's name is accuser. That's what the word means. He accuses. So he accuses you before God, you're only serving God so you can get something out of it. And then Satan says, I can prove it. Plunge them into darkness. Don't answer their prayers. Don't give them any sense of your presence. Take away all their earthly comforts. Take away their children. Set it up so that serving you and worshiping you and praying to you does absolutely nothing. And then you'll see God, they'll curse you, they'll run away from you, they'll reject you, and it's not because they're servants of you, it's because they're mercenaries. 
The only reason you serve God, according to Satan, is what you can get out of it. So God and Satan set up a wager. God says, okay, let's see. Job loses all his children. Not just one, all of them. All his possessions, his health, he's in pain, he's got boils all over his body. And finally his wife has had enough and she says, just curse God and die. And Satan says, that's what he'll do. He'll never make it. He won't serve you, God. You come to church and you're here today, but times get tough, and when God doesn't answer your prayers and when things aren't going the way you want, what do you do? Do you prove Satan correct, his accusation? Because when you go through desolation, you have a choice, and it is a question that God himself has. It goes like this, now we'll see whether you're worshiping me and serving me because you want a relationship with me or if you're doing it for yourself. There's nothing like the dark night of the soul to show you what's really in your heart. So God gives you consolation to show you who He is. He gives you blessing and good things to show you His goodness. But God gives you desolation to show who you are. It's a mirror to your soul. It's a test. And when you're confronted by that darkness and you hold on, it will make you a person of great faith. We've all heard the saying lately, make America great again. What makes America great? I think some people are talking about money and power. But what makes America great is when it gets through the hard times. I think World War II made America great. The easy times make America weak. This is a psalm of darkness, and it looks bad, and it is bad, and it looks like this guy is completely losing it. He's yelling at God and screaming and complaining and bitter. But you did, did you notice something? He's doing all that screaming and complaining to God. Everything he does in this psalm is before God. I've watched the Wakeman family. Everything they do in all their grief is to God. Micah prepared them. Even at the very end, even when he says darkness is his only friend, he's staying with God even though he's getting nothing out of it. And what that means is that Satan loses. Satan was wrong about Job. Job continued to serve God. And Satan is wrong about you. Even if you're not getting anything out of it and you're, you're still staying with God. And if you do that in darkness, you have defeated the accuser. And if you can say through your deepest possible pain, God is enough, you win. Job said, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you can say that in the darkness, Satan is defeated. And you have great faith. One more teaching. Psalm 88 teaches them that darkness is a shadow. And shadows are always temporary. Part of this thing of darkness is the feeling like it's never going to get any better, that this is the way it's always going to be. But the darkness is not permanent. It will not last. The psalmist here is describing his own angst, but he's also describing each one of us when we go through dark times. But he's also describing one specific person. I want you to listen to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 of his book because it sounds an awfully lot like Psalm 88. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, 
Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Who's he describing? Jesus. And Psalm 88 looks to Jesus. On the cross, Jesus took the absolute darkness of Psalm 88. He took the cup of God's wrath. God afflicted him. God abandoned him. Remember Jesus on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God abandoned him. And because God did that, the darkness we experience now is only a shadow. And that's why the Apostle Paul could later say, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death and darkness through our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor in Philadelphia named Donald Barnhouse tells a story about his wife's death. He was driving his children to their mother's funeral, and the youngest was five years old, no longer has a mother. And a big truck passed by their car as they headed to the funeral, and because of the position of the sun, when the truck passed by, it cast this enormous shadow over their car that they were in, and it filled the car with darkness. And then the car passed through the shadow back into the light. And Barnhouse turned around to his kids, and he said, did you see that truck? Would you rather be hit by that truck or by the shadow of that truck? And the youngest, who was five, said, the shadow. And the dad replied, kids, it's going to be okay. Because Jesus was hit by the truck. So your mother only has to go through the shadow. Psalm 23 is read at almost every funeral. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So Psalm 88 is Jesus. He comes under the wrath of God. He's repulsive to his peers. And because of Jesus, the darkness we endure is but a shadow. And we will remember that darkness that Jesus endured during communion, just a minute here. And the emblems will remind us of the rejection and loss and the pain of the cross and the death so that the darkness is conquered and Satan loses so this is our victory meal. Let's pray. Lord, you experienced Psalm 88, a darkness that none of us ever has or ever will experience. And we just thank you that darkness is a shadow. It's real, so real, but it doesn't last. And we, we know that although darkness is present now and the night is strong and we know, that, we know that it's hard, we know that light still comes in the morning and we know a new day is coming and we know the resurrection from the darkness is real. So thank you for the emblems that speak to us as they remind us and tell us that the darkness Jesus went through is to give us victory. Amen.